Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 580 for the 18th of February, 2018. This week, smartphones and tablets have changed the way we read. Most libraries now offer electronic books in addition to physical books, and the electronic versions have quite a few advantages, along with some drawbacks. So this week, we'll take a look at some ebook readers. In short circuits, password managers have been important for several years, but now a new threat makes the need for secure password management critical. I'll explain why. Wi-Fi routers may look like they have 12 channels, but really they have just three. In spare parts only on the website, this month's updates by Adobe further expand the cloud-based Lightroom CC and add features to Lightroom Classic and Adobe XD. Dealing with false positive security alerts is causing legitimate alerts to be missed. And if you spend too much time trying to find an online video sequence you enjoyed and want to see again or share, a new utility might be able to help. Let's call this section Finding the Right Ebook Readers. Note the plural. Finding the right book reader application for your tablet or smartphone can be the difference between having an enjoyable reading experience and one that's not so enjoyable. The choice becomes complicated for those who have both Android and iOS devices, and maybe Windows tablets. That explains my use of the plural, readers, and may also give away the fact that there doesn't seem to be any one best reader. We'll get to that later. This is not about the advantages of ebooks over printed books, although there are some. It is also not about the advantages of printed books over ebooks, although there are some of those too. Reference books, manuals, and instructional materials often work better as printed books because it's easy to flip from one page to another. Novels are often better as ebooks because it's easy to carry around dozens of books for reading whenever a free moment is available. And we're not going to even consider audiobooks, even though they do make it possible for those who spend a lot of time on the road or who have vision problems to read. So e-readers only, but an app or an actual reader. Apps exist to turn your iOS or Android phone or tablet into a reader, but there are also single-purpose reader devices. I once owned an Amazon Kindle, and I loved it because it created black text on a white page that was legible in any light. If you're willing to carry an ebook reader with you wherever you might want to read, this is possibly the best choice. They are somewhat expensive, though, and a physical reader is just one more thing to carry around. Prices range from about $60 for a basic Amazon Kindle with 4 gigabytes of storage to $270 or so for a Kobo Aura 1 with 8 gigabytes of storage. Books are relatively small in terms of memory requirements, so 4 to 8 gigabytes is probably sufficient, although the Amazon Kindle Oasis supports up to 32 gigabytes of memory. 
The best screen size, at least for me, is about what publishers would call a trade paperback. These are the larger paperback books, a little over 5 inches wide, slightly less than 8 inches tall. If you read primarily magazines, a larger tablet, such as the iPad Pro, might be a better choice for you. But single-purpose readers all seem to be in the trade paperback size or smaller. That concern about one more thing to carry around is sufficient for me to discount single-purpose readers and choose to use a phone or a tablet instead, but there are other reasons. The options for installing reader apps include smartphones, assume a screen size of about 2.5 inches wide by a little under 5 inches tall, small tablets, which might be 4.5 or 5 inches wide, 7 inches tall, medium tablets like the iPad Pro, which is about 6 by 8 inches, or a tablet computer like a Microsoft Surface, which is a 7 by 10 inch screen. Smaller devices are easier to hold, obviously, particularly if you're lying down, but either the text is going to be a lot smaller, or if you make the text larger, you'll have fewer words per page. Another issue to consider is the ebook format. Unfortunately, there is no universal ebook format. Many of the apps are able to display more than one, but not all. So it's probably good to realize right now that you're going to need more than one reader. That, in fact, as I mentioned earlier, is why I used the plural in the title, finding the right ebook readers. Most of the ebook reader manufacturers realize that not everybody will want a physical device, and so they've developed apps that work with the formats they use. The ebooks you buy from Amazon will be readable on your Kindle reader if you have one, or on your Kindle app on a smartphone, tablet, or computer. Those Kindle apps keep track of what page you're on and offer to take you to the last read location, no matter which device you're using. Some readers include the ability to look up unfamiliar words. Even though dictionary applications are available for all mobile devices, the need to open the dictionary application and type the word you want to define can be just enough of an effort that readers will jump over the word or assume the meaning based on context. That assumed meaning might be right, but an incorrect assumption could hamper the reader's understanding. So being able to select a word and click an icon and then have the definition displayed is quite helpful. Another handy function if you're reading one book on more than one device is the ability, such as Kindles, to let the reader know what the furthest read page is on any device. The Google Play Reader and the Kindle applications both do that. Kindle actually would seem to be the ideal reader, except for one thing. Kindle doesn't support one of the most popular formats, EPUB. I have the Kindle Reader on every device I own because I bought quite a few ebooks from Amazon. If you borrow ebooks from your library, you'll need either the Kindle app or Adobe Digital Editions. Both of these applications can deal with digital rights management systems used by libraries. These are the two applications that everyone should consider installing on any device that they'll use for reading. EPUB is an XML format that supports reflowable digital books and publications using open publication structure, open packaging format, and open container format. EPUB files can be encrypted or unencrypted. Libraries that use OverDrive to serve books, and that seems to be most of them, will also offer the free OverDrive reader for Android and iOS devices. 
Because it's provided by your library, it handles digital rights management automatically. You'll probably need at least the Kindle app and Adobe Digital Editions, and possibly more. Google's Play Reader is available for both Android and Apple devices. It's a good choice. My Apple tablet has the built-in iBooks Reader, Adobe Digital Editions, Google Play Books, Kindle, the paid version of an EPUB reader, and one additional free ebook reader. My Android devices have readers from Kindle, Nook, and Kobo, in addition to Acrobat, the paid version of the Universal Book Reader, and the Play Reader. Virtually all readers can handle the EPUB format, just not the Kindle application. On the TechBiter Worldwide website, you'll find a list of some of the free readers that are available. It is by no means a complete list of all free readers, but some you might want to take a look at. My point is that many such apps exist, and it's worthwhile to try several of them to find one that offers exactly the features that are important to you. Google's Play Reader can display only PDF and EPUB formats. Adobe Acrobat Reader can display PDF files, Microsoft Office files, files from some other word processors, rich text files, PostScript and encapsulated PostScript files, and some others that aren't typically used for ebooks, but it cannot display EPUB files. The Amazon Kindle Reader, as I've mentioned a couple of times, cannot open EPUB files, but it can open Mobi files. The Kobo Reader is more popular in Canada and Europe than it is in the U.S., but it's worth taking a look at because it can read EPUB and PDF files, along with some of the less common formats that you might encounter. The Nook Reader from Barnes & Noble offers millions of paid and free magazine and ebook choices, and the Adobe Digital Reader, not to be confused with Adobe's Acrobat Reader. The digital reader supports both protected and unprotected EPUB files, so if you borrow ebooks from a library, you'll need either the Adobe Digital Reader or Adobe Acrobat, or both, because most libraries use files with digital rights management copy protection. Library EPUB books are delivered via tiny files with an ACSM extension. Adobe Digital Reader opens that file, which then includes instructions for fetching the actual EPUB book. And that raises another issue. Do you want to buy books, or would you rather borrow them from your library? Overdrive is the system used by the library consortium I'm most familiar with. When I checked on February 9th, 4,500 books were currently out on loan. For 2017, a total of 3 million books had been loaned. Books that you'll read only once are good candidates for library loans. Those that you may use for reference are probably better as purchased books, either print copies or ebooks. And some publishers offer free or reduced price copies of electronic books to the purchasers of the print version. Books borrowed from the library will be disabled on the reader when the lending period ends. That's usually not a problem because you can simply borrow the book again if you still need it and a copy is available. Key point there, if a copy is available. Failing to finish a popular new book before it expires could be a problem if your returned copy has been borrowed by another user. Just as with physical books, the number of copies of e-books is not infinite. The library or consortium of libraries will license a certain number of copies of a book. Once that number of copies is in circulation, users need to wait for a book to expire or to have the user return it. Returning books as soon as you've finished reading them is a good practice, just as it is with physical books. 
And before moving on to some of the apps that you might want to pay for on your tablet or smartphone, let's take a quick look at one that runs only on computers, Windows, Macs, or Linux. Calibra is a free reader and book organizer. The key function is the organizer because as a reader, it's not exactly the best thing going. And as I said, it runs only on computers. The huge advantage it brings is the ability to convert books from one format to another. If you purchase a book in EPUB format, but you'd like to read it on a Kindle reader or in the Kindle app, you'll be out of luck without Calibra, which can convert the EPUB format to a Mobi file. The Mobi file will work on Kindle devices. Many of the reader apps are free or have free versions that are supported by ads. Both Adobe Digital Editions and the Kindle app are completely free. But I also wanted to take a look at some of the reader apps that aren't free and why you might want to consider them. Bokhari costs $5.50. It runs on Android and iOS devices, supports EPUB and PDF formats with or without digital rights management protection. It adds a navigation panel that speeds the ability to jump between pages, and it offers very good bookmarks. Scribd would cost you $9 a month for Android or iOS devices. Now, that may seem like a lot, but this is a subscription service with its own reader, and you can think of it as Netflix for books. It's more expensive than using the library, but users have access to half a million books from nearly a 1,000 publishers. There's the $4 Marvin for iOS devices only. It includes some excellent organizational tools and offers many customization options but it supports only DRM-free EPUB files. The Aldico Book Reader, $5, supports Android and iOS. It's been around for a long time. It supports EPUB and PDF files with or without digital rights management. There is a free version, but it displays ads. And the Universal Book Reader, $5, Android or iOS, either one. It has a free version that shows ads, so you'll probably want the paid version if you decide you like it. It does support most ebook formats, comic book formats, and several less common formats. The Universal Book Reader is one of my favorites. Maybe you're wondering whether reading long books electronically is tiring or tiresome, and whether the batteries run dry at inopportune moments. Well, I think not. Having just read all 4,250 pages of Stephen King's Dark Tower series of eight books over the 45 days from January 1st until mid-February on a combination of Apple and Android devices using at least three different readers. One day, near the end of the final book, I spent 12 hours reading on a single device. King says those eight books combined run to about 1.3 million words that he wrote over a 30-year period from 1982 to 2012. If you read a lot and you've thought about trying e-books, try the Adobe Digital Reader with a selection or two from your library or download one of the reader apps that's either free or offers a free trial period. Many of the apps come with one or two books that are old enough to be in the public domain. Some of these are reasonably well formatted, but others are not. So to really see what's happening in electronic books today, your local library is probably the very best source. In short circuits, you need a true password manager right now, really.
Browsers have never offered a secure way to store passwords, and the situation became a bit more dicey recently when developers of a password recovery tool added some new features. Password recovery tools aren't new, but the Lasagna Forensic Utilities' new features make it dangerous in the hands of the wrong people. The utility is freely available on the Internet via GitHub, the Lasagna Project is an open-source application used to retrieve passwords stored on a local computer. The developer says the tool has been developed for the purpose of finding these passwords for the most commonly used software. Why? Well, system administrators need utilities like this because users sometimes forget passwords that they've created to protect essential information. In the past, there's been little risk because they required physical access to the computer. That's what has changed. Previously, the utility could extract passwords stored on a Windows PC without needing the master Windows password, but the utility needed to be operated by someone who had signed in locally with legitimate credentials. The updated version can decrypt passwords secured by the Windows Data Protection API without needing the password to the Windows account that is signed in as an active user. It does require access to the computer, but that access can be via remote management software. Passwords stored on a Windows computer are encrypted when the user is logged out. Once the user logs in, the stored passwords are decrypted. The utility simply reads the decrypted passwords. When the utility retrieves a password, it also tests the operating system to determine whether the password it has is used for Windows. To reveal passwords, the utility exploits a flaw in the Windows security system. The developer says passwords stored on a Windows machine with the default methods can be obtained. This alone is a good reason why users should stop storing passwords in browsers and use a password manager such as LastPass or 1Password or Dashlane, and there are lots of others. And corporate IT managers now have another task to add to their security list. Ensure that users don't store critical passwords in browsers or other applications that depend on the Windows Data Protection API. You'll find a list of those applications on the TechBiter Worldwide website. The 2.4 GHz Wi-Fi band has 12 channels, or it looks like it does. Actually, it should have only three. There's a common and unfortunately intuitive belief that Wi-Fi channels are like the old TV channels. In other words, a signal on channel 7 would interfere only minimally with a signal on channel 8. That is not the case with Wi-Fi. The old television channel system located channels 2 through 6 below the FM radio broadcast band. That, by the way, explains why it was possible to receive the audio portion of Channel 6 on a standard FM radio that could tune slightly below the bottom of the FM band. Channels 7 through 13 occupied the spectrum from approximately 174 MHz to 216 MHz. Television stations have vacated these frequencies, which are now used for other services. Wi-Fi channels, at least in the 2.4 GHz band, overlap each other and the only channels that don't overlap other channels are 1, 6, and 11. Those are the only channels that should be used by devices in the 2.4 GHz Wi-Fi spectrum. 
you'll see an image on the TechBiter Worldwide website that shows why. The left side of the image shows a correct Wi-Fi setup, although there is one bad actor in the picture. All of the signals, well, all of them except one bad actor, are on the correct channels, 1, 6, and 11. That's what you'll see on a large campus or a large commercial building. A more typical arrangement is shown in the right panel of the image you'll see on the TechBiner Worldwide website, where a combination of home users and Internet service provider technicians have created a jumble. Fortunately, physical separation is sufficient in residential neighborhoods that off-channel signals are often so weak that they cause only minor interference. In the example you'll see on the TechBiter Worldwide website, a strong signal on channel 4 is interfering with signals on channels 1 and 6. At the location pictured, only channel 11 has no interference from off-channel signals. Wi-Fi routers that operate in the 5 GHz band usually have the built-in intelligence to select the best operating channel, but those who still use the older 2.4 GHz band still need to be set manually. The process is easy enough. Using only channels 1, 6, and 11, find the channel in your neighborhood that has the smallest number of interfering signals, signals on that channel or on adjacent channels, and select that one in the router's control panel. And you can select spare parts, but only on the website, because that's the only place it exists. This week, this month's updates by Adobe further expand the cloud-based Lightroom CC and add features to Lightroom Classic and Adobe XD. Dealing with false positive security alerts is causing legitimate alerts to be missed. And if you spend too much time trying to find an online video sequence that you enjoyed and want to see again or share, a new utility might be able to help. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.